Welcome to another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Chapter 19 starts in verse 1 saying, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. I would suggest that you pause this podcast whether you're listening or you're watching a video, and Google the route of the Exodus or map of the Exodus. Either way, it'll come up with a map showing you Egypt and uh, the Sinai Peninsula and Israel and part of Saudi Arabia, and it'll give you the traditional route and, and maybe a couple of alternative uh, proposed theories about where the route could have been. I found that to be incredibly helpful. Um, because when I read verse 2 and it says that they set out from Rephidium and entered the desert of Sinai, it means nothing to me. Just as if you told somebody from Moses' day that you got onto 205 and at Wilsonville, 205 joined I-5 and then you headed south towards Eugene. They wouldn't understand what that means. But just about everybody that lives in Oregon would understand what that means. So get a map, take a look, and see what's going on. They headed south from Egypt after having crossed the Red Sea, and and they did not head towards the promised land. Now, that's interesting to me, that they did not head to the promised land, that they headed to this mountain where God was leading them. There's so many times when we think we know what we need God to do in our lives. I know the thing that I need God to fix. I know the thing that I need God to supply. I know the thing that I need God to heal. I know the thing that I need God to do. And then he does the opposite. We think we know which way we should go. It wouldn't be crazy for somebody to be going, wait, we are going south. Why aren't we heading northeast from our captivity to the promised land? There is a land our ancestor Abraham was lived there. We want to go back to there. Why are we heading the opposite direction? God knows what we need. And so I trust God. Uh, there are times when he's leading me in a certain way and I'm just going, what is going on? I remember uh, an email conversation I was having with a friend and this was uh, easily 15 years ago. But I remember I was frustrated with some things going on in my life. Uh, in fact, I was frustrated with a lot of things going, going wrong in my life. And I remember saying to this friend, I feel like a spoiled child. And I am just off in the corner shaking my fists and holding my breath and, you know, crossing my arms and, and shivering with rage. And if you've ever seen a three-year-old have a temper tantrum, you know that I am only scratching the surface as to what that looks like. But I said, I feel like I'm a spoiled child having a temper tantrum because God is not doing what I want him to do. 
And now that I can look back with hindsight, I'm so thankful for what God did. I'm so thankful for the way that God led me. But it was in those moments where I was frustrated. Why are we not headed straight to the promised land? Why are we not headed northeast? Why are we headed south? And God knew what he was doing. Verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. It's interesting that he says the descendants of Israel, or sorry, the descendants of Jacob and the people of Israel. Jacob was the name of their ancestor. You might have heard this before, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was the man who God called out of obscurity and said, I am going to make you a great nation and your descendants will be so numerous that they cannot be counted. And his son Isaac, who was born to him, even though his wife was well, well, and I mean decades beyond childbearing years. And Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And the word, the name Jacob means heel catcher. And Jacob Jacob was a con man. Jacob was a hustler. Jacob was a man who had to run because he had burned so many bridges and and, uh, offended so many people and his own brother wanted to kill him. But then one night, a man, he was sitting kind of by this, this river, this creek, and a man came and they wrestled all night. And finally, when the man saw that Jacob would not relent, he touched Jacob's hip and the muscle tightened up and Jacob was actually crippled. And the man said, you will be named Israel for you have wrestled with God. Now, I personally can't prove it 100%, but I personally believe that Jacob at that moment was wrestling with Jesus himself. That's my personal belief. But whatever was going on there, whether it was an angel, a messenger of God, and and so, you know, the, the metaphor is that Jacob was wrestling with the message that God had sent, or whether it was Jesus, God himself in human flesh that Jacob was wrestling with. His name had been changed. He was no longer that, that sinful heel grabber, that trickster, that con artist. He had wrestled with God, and you do see a dramatic change in Israel's life going forward where he acts like Jacob is where he's usually doing something wrong. But from that point forward, when he's referred to as Israel, it's when he is doing the things that God has called him to do. And that is how it is in our life. What he's saying is you are the descendants of Jacob, the sinner, just as all of us are descendants of sinful people. And we ourselves were sinners. But he's saying, but you are now the people of Israel. We were descendants of sinful people. We ourselves were sinners. But if we are in Christ, if we have wrestled with God, we are now the people of God. And I'm so thankful for the victories that we can have in Christ. Does it mean that we will never sin again? No, that's, that's not possible this side of eternity. But does it mean that God can cleanse us 
from intentionally wanting to sin. I wanted to sin when I wasn't a Christian. And even after I was saved by grace through faith, there were still things I wanted to sin. I wanted to do sinful things. Do I believe that God can cleanse us from the desire to do those things? Yes, I do. Or he can give us the strength to remove those things. And we say, yeah, I have a desire to do those things, but God's strength has given me the ability to put barriers in place so that I no longer will, because my desire is to follow God and not to do what displeases him. Verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on Ingle's wings and brought you to myself. This idea of I've, that they didn't do anything to deliver themselves. It was God who delivered them. Just as we have done nothing to earn our salvation is everything that God has done. They just had to respond to what God was doing. God has made a way of salvation. Let's go. God has made a way of salvation for us. Let us surrender to Jesus. Verse five, now if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God is giving Moses a message to bring to the people. Just as God has given you, husband, you, wife, a message to speak to your spouse, God has given you, father, you, mother, a message to speak to your kids. God has given you, neighbor, a message to bring to your community or to your coworkers or to whoever God has put in your circle of influence. So Moses, verse 7, went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded them to speak. The people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes, and be ready by the third day, because on that day... The Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful, do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. A person or animal shall be permitted to live. Or sorry, no person or animal that shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. That might seem harsh, but what's going on here is that God is establishing holiness to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be something that is not common. It is uncommon. It is special. And so what he is saying is go tell the people to consecrate themselves, prepare themselves, wash your clothes, be cleansed. Because the third day is coming when God is going to show himself to the people. There was a barrier between God and the people. You might remember if you were listening to our Sunday morning sermons that when Jesus died, when he died, the in the temple in Jerusalem, there was the curtain that separated 
where the people could go from the holy place where the only the priests could go. And that, that curtain was torn top to bottom in two, showing that that division between God and people had been bridged through Jesus Christ. But in this old covenant, that division existed. Here is the holiness of God and here is people and there is a space and you cannot come close. And that's one of the reasons that the new covenant is so much better is because through Jesus, we can approach with boldness. Through Jesus, we can be with God and not feel ashamed. Through Jesus, we can stand before the Father and not die. Moses wanted to see God, and, and God said, Moses, if, you, if I showed my glory to you, you would die. But now because of Jesus, there will come a day where we will stand in the presence of God and we will stand rightly before him. He says, consecrate yourselves. All that they could do was wash their clothes, wash their bodies, wash, brush their teeth, you know, comb their hair. They could only externally cleanse themselves. And that is most of human religion. I can externally cleanse myself. But what about the inside? What about the part of me that still, I, I can look great on the outside and I can do all the right things. And on the inside, I still have bitterness. On the inside, I'm still selfish. On the inside, I still want uh, what's good for me, but not good for someone else. On the inside, I still have prejudice and racism. On the inside, I still have lust. What about that? That's why the new covenant is so much better because this new covenant of grace that we have through Jesus cleanses us to the very core. This old covenant, this covenant that God made with the people through Moses said, get yourself ready. And all they could do was clean up on the outside. But Jesus in this new covenant of grace cleanses us fully and completely on the inside. Put limits around the mountain. Jesus removes those limits. And we will have no division between us and God. Not because of anything you've done or anything because of I've done, because of what Jesus has done. Verse 14, after Moses had gone down to the mountain, he consecrated them. He walked and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. We, as sinful people, have made sex gross. And that's, generally speaking, the two ways that people view sex in our culture. They, and, and I didn't come up with this alliteration but I don't know who did because the guy that I heard it from, I guarantee he stole it from someone else. But basically people view sex one of two ways. They either say sex is gross or sex is God. So, so you have that sort of Puritan, Victorian uh, sort of view of sex, that sex is gross. Uh, you know, 
you got to do it to have kids, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's just gross. And then there's people that view sex as God and sex is everything and sex is glorified and, and sex is the ultimate expression and, and self gratification is the most important thing. And do not deny anything about what you want or what you want to do. What the Bible says is that sex is a gift from God, that God designed sex. And when you think about it, that means that Adam and Eve in the perfection of the garden, when God looked and said it was good before they had eaten the fruit, before they knew sin, they experienced the joys of sexual relation between a husband and a wife, and they experienced it in full purity. There is nothing wrong with sex is a, a, a relational component between a husband and a wife. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not gross, nor should it be God. Uh, my relationship with my wife should not be based on, on, you know, the, the condition of our sex life. My, my, my relationship with my wife should be based on a foundation of God. Jesus is the foundation of our relationship. So why is Moses telling the people to abstain? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, hey, don't withhold from each other. If you're married, husbands and wife, don't use sex as a weapon. Don't withhold from one another. Oh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do that right now because, you know, I'm mad at you or whatever. The point is, but, he, but then he says in verse 5, unless it is agreed upon for a time of fasting. And so what Paul's saying is, don't withhold from each other if you're married. But if your spouse says, I feel led this week to fast from, you know, uh, Monday and Tuesday, I am going to just drink water and I'm going to take my lunch break and pray. And during that time, I'm also not going to, uh, I'm not going to have uh, sexual relations with you. They say, okay, that's fair. Monday, Tuesday, great. Um, that's what Paul's saying is he's saying, you know what? Sex is good. It's not gross. It's not God. It's a gift from God. But if you guys have a time where it's mutually agreed upon, we're not going to for this season, for this purpose, that's fine. This is the same thing. It's not that sex was bad. It was, Hey, for these next three days, commit yourself to prayer, commit yourself to worship, commit yourself to, to, thinking about God, to devote yourself towards him to prepare yourself for this work that God is about to do. And on the morning, verse 16 of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone at the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people that they, so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perished. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, and the Lord, or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. 
So Moses went down and told the people. So what's going on here is that God is saying, you need to have some order and some decency. And I think that's a good word for some of our more uh, extreme charismatic and Pentecostal sisters and brothers. But then you need to go experience the presence of the Lord, which is a good word to some of our more Presbyterian or Baptist brothers. Is God changing his mind? No. For those days of consecration, there was a separation. But now was the time to approach and experience. Just as when Jesus died and rose again, that barrier between God and man was torn apart and we have full access. And you need to know the moment you're in. If you're not a Christian, you do not have full access to God. But if you are in Christ, you have been given full access. And it's time to come in, not crazy, not insane, but it's time to come in and experience the fullness of the presence of God. We experience the presence of God through prayer and worship and Bible study. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. on faithonhill.com and our Facebook page. We have Zoom small groups, and if you want to email small groups at faithonhill.com, we can get you connected. We experience God's presence as we pray, as we study His Word, and we pray that you experience His presence as you've listened to this podcast. My name's Adam, and God bless you.